Hello there and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I'm here at Mallorca Blockchain Days with Christian Rutzel. Hi there. Who is the creator and maintainer of Raspi Blitz, which is the full node that I use at home. It's a, an operating system for the Raspberry Pi, which keeps it simple. You have Bitcoin, you have Lightning, you have a few well-tested services. And I guess so far it has been like the more technical solution. You needed to use a little bit of command line yeah. at times. But now you finally have the graphic user interface that's going to make it friendly and everyone is going to be able to use the Raspi Blitz regardless of their understanding of how Bitcoin works. Yeah, so, so the Raspi Blitz uh, as a, for, for your full note was a little bit the solution coming more from the developer side, a little bit, a little bit more for the technical geeky people. Um, so the, um, but a lot of people liked it because we have this open source approach, this community approach, and uh, only beginners had a little bit harder time to start with because you have to go open the terminal. Basically the device it tells you what to do so you can follow it very easily, but still there is like opening the terminal is still not convenient for a lot of people. So a lot of people asked for, for the web UI and also other node projects providing a web UI so that you can manage your node kind of from your web browser. So like a home appliance system, like my, maybe like a smart TV or whatever like you have at your home. So uh, and with 1.8, we now with Raspi Blitz, we now also have a web UI that you can use completely from the beginning to set up the node and then basically to manage the node in kind of very basic steps. And uh, it's a little bit minim minimalistic at the moment, so it's kind of starting point, but we want to know then together with the community improve this step by step and make this kind of a good experience also, especially then for the beginners. I really like the Raspi Blitz because it's, it doesn't feel bloated. You have Bitcoin, you have Lightning, and the other services are optional. Something like Mempool, <laughs> yeah. you can activate it by yourself. You can also activate an Electrum Rust server. Yep. You can also use Join Market or what else do you have? BTC Pay Server. But all of these are optional. Yes. At Core, you only have Bitcoin Core and you get to choose between Lightning Labs LND or C Lightning from Blockstream. I think now it's called Lightning Core. Core Lightning, yeah. yeah. And the, yeah, basically, we want to keep it minimal as possible. So Tor is uh, uh, by default kind of activated. Uh, you can deactivate it if you really want, but we normally um, have it as a default in there. So that's kind of the starting uh, starting setup you have. And now, of course, for the web UI, we also needed to integrate a little bit more from the beginning. So there is now a backend uh, API that was done by Fusion 44. So he was kind of helping out creating that API that is a Python fast API backend for the people that are interested and maybe uh, interested in by helping out improving it. And the and this runs now in the background from the beginning. And of course, the web UI is served directly from the from the Raspberry Blitz with an NGX um, basic web server a lot of people use. It's good open source software. So um, it's a little bit more setup. And um, but we also have the option because uh, normally you use the Raspberry Blitz by downloading the SD card image and flashing it to the SD card and then starting it up. So it's a kind of prepackaged SD card image. But you can also build the SD card image yourself um, from a base Raspberry OS uh, system. And there you have the option to still say no, I don't even don't want to have the web UI from the beginning. So so you can really still start very very minimalistic if you really want to. So for example, if you already kind of 
got more from beginner to pro level. For the next Raspberry Blitz you set up, you can really say, I don't need a web UI. I still keep it away uh, with the SSH terminal, terminal in and have minimal dependencies in the beginning and then just install what I need. So to keep, keep the attack surface also minimal. Right. So let's take this a step back mm -hmm. and talk about what Raspberry Blitz is. I know that originally, I think the first OS for the Raspberry Pi was the Raspberry Bolt by Staticus 3000. Yeah, he doesn't call it an OS. Even the OS system is a little bit, uh, I mean, it's a packaging, repackaging kind of stuff ready to install, right? And the, the Raspberry Bolt was more like really a tutorial, like go step by step through and set up. We, we put in every Linux command you put in by yourself or you basically copy paste it from the tutorial into the terminal depends on your taste and then you really learn really step by step what how you're changing the system and what you're installing it's a very good learning experience really have to say um and this is what we used in the beginning at the hack days um and then but we were seeing like some people want to have something more ready to go so that you can maybe more quickly try the apps out develop or develop your own app so um a package kind of version that was the idea coming from the Raspberry Bowl to the Raspberry Blitz. Yes, today all you have to do is download the image, which contains the OS, you flash it on an SD card, and that's it, you're good to go. You insert it in the Raspberry Blitz and it boots up. I guess so what you have to do next is probably to sync the blockchain. Yeah, that's, of course, you have a one terabyte SSD there that's normally just empty in the beginning. And um, to have to run a full node, the first thing you do, you need the blockchain. And so you, you, you really have to wait quite a time to let this little machine, the little Raspberry Pi, really crunch all those data through and download it. And it gets hot a bit, but it pushes through. Um, and um, the Raspberry Blitz has two options. In the SSH terminal, you have also the option to copy the blockchain from an existing Raspberry Pi or, for example, from your laptop. So because your laptop is quite faster to download the blockchain and, and, and calculate it through to check, to verify it. So uh, if you really have to have the space on your laptop and you, have, uh, you want, don't want to wait in maybe three, four days to, to sync, you can sync it more quickly up on your laptop and then copy it over, over, over LAN network, like over the local network over. But that's a little bit more for the pro people. Um, and even in the Fulmo shop where we, um, in Berlin, where we sell the kind of prepackaged Raspberry Blitz for people, there is the option to get the, the prepackaged, also the built, already built together Raspberry Pi um, with a pre-sync blockchain. It's normally, I would not recommend this from security kind of perspective, but if you're really a beginner and you want to start learn quickly, um, it's okay. Um, maybe at one point when you learned in love a lot and you want to really then set up your production kind of system, then maybe make it clean again and really start and then zoom it to yourself at that point. So that's, those are the kind of options to get it. Yes. Another question that I have for you concerns other implementations, which mm -hmm. maybe achieve the same purpose in different ways. You also have MyNode BTC, which I guess became open source last year or something. It used to have a different kind of license. And there's also Umbrel, which has a more commercial license. There's also Run Citadel, which is trying to be like Umbrel, but with an open source license. And then there's Raspberry Blitz, which until now was kind of perceived as the developer's choice. Now it's going to become friendlier, but I'll let you do the talking. What yeah. is the difference between these OSs? 
So there is, um, I think uh, the MyNote is not open source in that kind of way. I think they still even still, um, I have to check again, but last time I checked, I haven't, I haven't seen. Um, so the, they, 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 have a kind, they have a business model to sell you a kind of an, a pro kind of level to it. So uh, they're protecting some, some kind of their code. Um, the Raspberry Blitz, in contrast to the other projects, first of all, it starts with it has an LCD screen on top. So from the kind of default config, you don't need it, uh, the, the little LCD screen on top of the Raspberry Pi, but it's, but it's kind of the default configuration we, we recommend. And this gives you from the beginning a little screen that helps you a little bit on status and on setting it up. So I think it's, it's very nice to have. Um, this is kind of the first thing maybe people recognize if they see the different, different nodes. Um, again, from the license kind of, kind of side, there's also the Noddle that is also open source, but the Noddle is a little bit more uh, also, they, uh, it's, it's open source. Basically, you can build it yourself, but they're a little bit more concentrated in also uh, selling you uh, the Noddle software and it, and it runs not on a Raspberry Pi, on, on another board. Um, and, and then the, um, the Umbral is going a little bit the other way. They are more a startup kind of, uh, um, kind of company. They just raised uh, $3 million uh, kind of venture capital. And they're coming very much from the very marketing driven. You can see they have a strong brand, really have to say. They have good marketing. And they, 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 from the beginning, they were very good with UX. They had a web UI from the beginning, really looking nice. So as you can see, they're coming a little bit like from the Apple kind of idea, like giving you this, this great shiny OX and, and a good feel. And, and they, but, but in the end, they're a company. They're not completely open source. They change to a better license as before. That gives you a lot of freedoms, but basically um, you don't own the product. So they still basically keep keep a small finger on on the code. It's they allow you a lot of stuff, but basically it's theirs. And this is the and the one developer there that helped out in the beginning from Umbral. Uh, he started then he parted with Umbral and he started the Citadel, a project. And this has has the idea to open source basically the Umbral kind of client because you could take some parts that are some subparts from Umbral that were open source and then try to kind of um, part, build the other kind of parts, replace them to make it a real open source uh, system. We now have to see how they develop on the, uh, on the UI part because Umbral made a big change recently, a new shiny OS that really looks more like a desktop computer and not more like a, like a management UI. So we have to see if um, how Citadel, what will Citadel now present as, as an option there. Um, so, um, but I have to say, if you're really a starter, an absolute beginner, it's okay to start also with something like Umbral. I would recommend Citadel. Um, um, but um, as start with a note from the beginning is always, always my thing. Start. And Raspberry Blitz, for example, even allows you to migrate then in the end. So if you say, okay, I, I now saw Umbral, I've tried it out, and maybe I want to migrate. I have some, some channels open in my, my L&D, for example, uh, and I want to move it over to the Raspberry Blitz. This is also open for you then in the end later. So you can make this transition without closing the channels that you already opened with Umbrel. Yes. Yeah. Do you, basically, uh, Umbrel also now has uh, Core Lightning uh, support. So they also offer now both kind of options. So you can try it out, open channels, have running Lightning channels. So it's two things you want to avoid when you, when, you, when you migrate. You don't want to download and verify the blockchain again. And you want to 
put move your channels over or take your channels with you basically so to say so those two things is, is happening on the migration pass all the other apps that you can install on Umbrel, because not every app is available also on Raspberry Blitz, uh, all the data that you maybe have there, for example, if you're a BTC Pay server, with, where you have some data uh, data already, like a profile uh, set up or so, this data is not uh, in the migration path at the moment, because that would there's a limit what we can support. So we concentrate on the most basic stuff like the blockchain and the, and the lightning data. Right. So Christian, why does open source matter at all? Because when I talk with people and I tell them, you know, Raspi Blitz and Citadel, these are open source, but Umbrella is not. And they're like, I use Windows. Windows is not open source. I use Mac OS. That one is also not open source. So why is it important when you deal with Bitcoin to have everything open source? I mean, you can even, even read it in the, in the slogan from Umbrella, this has become self-sovereign. And self-sovereign basically means that you don't depend on other people. So that you really can manage everything yourself, everything yourself. So even the, uh, even and and you really, it's your node. You really own everything. Meaning the recipe, recipe, recipe pie itself can be a compromise there on the hardware level, but from the software level, really have the benefit that everything basically is open source. Bitcoin is open source, Lightning is open source. All those tools we basically use and all, all the apps that are on the Raspberry, for example, also you can install all open source software. So it just makes sense to be the packaging. The, if you just package it to also have this open source just to be, be, be clean here and that you really can own the, everything yourself so it's really open source gives you ownership over your over your software so that's that's basically first of all the the, the most important thing and it's very important because in bitcoin because um i always like to say not your node not your rules so um you want to be you want to decide freely and and really with all options if, if somebody wants to change the rules in Bitcoin, and this is a community decision after all, so what code we run and what rules, protocol rules we run is a decision of every node that runs. And then it finds kind of consensus or it comes to a split. So, so it depends a bit. And uh, you should have all the freedom. And with Umbel, for example, they're very open now, allowing you a lot of stuff. So, and they always say, we don't want to, uh, we want to also give you all the options in the, in the case of a fork. But what is not possible, nobody, even the developers, for example, if you have a developers at Umbrel and they don't agree with their management, like they have a VC now, there's somebody that wants to get profit out of this and they don't agree, the developers cannot take the code and make a new company and, and compete with Umbrel because they are not allowed to use the software commercially. So basically, uh, you see there's limited options. And if I cannot use the software commercially, open source allows you this, just to take this and be a competition to everybody else, um, then you are on, on eye level to compete in a fork situation. And you don't have this with Umbral. So, so there, it's a little bit theoretical. It's not something that maybe happens tomorrow, but it's a part of Bitcoin's freedom we should try to preserve and not put, put kind of in the end, everything's open source, but in the end we put it in some people's hands uh, and, and then let take this freedom away from us. So I think it's very important to keep uh, kind of even also such systems like the full nodes uh, open source. Yeah, and there's always the verification side of it. It's important to know that your device is doing what it says that it's doing, especially if it's about your sovereign money. That's right. Which is scarce and which can be stolen by a stranger on the other side of the world. You need to really know what your device is doing. But on that part, you cannot criticize Umbel because they have every code, the complete code, free to read. So, so it's online source available. So it's on GitHub. So you, everybody can 
check the code and, and then kind of build, make his own kind of umbrella from it as long as you do it for your private and non-commercial kind of ways this freedom they give you so um so every, basically all node projects i know uh give you at least that freedom and so but also what you really need to know have this ownership of the code there's still a company that owns that code by license it's not open source um and this is i think still a very important extra point to, to keep keep an eye on a few minutes ago you implied that the raspberry raspberry pi is not open source because on the Raspberry Blitz, you have the software, which is open source, but the hardware is not. Why should anyone use a Raspberry Pi to run a full Bitcoin node? And what is the open source alternative that might exist? Open source hardware is still something really completely open source hardware, especially when we're talking about complete computers. It's very hard to get to, uh, but it's a goal we should keep in mind. Um, so the smaller devices, we already see this, like uh, the Trezor, I just heard today here at the conference. Uh, uh, again, uh, this is, it's even open hardware um, on, on, on that kind of level. With the laptops, if you need, really need, but that's a microcontroller system that's very reduced, small system. If you really need for, for running like bit, something like Bitcoin and Lightning, you really need a small computer, even a small kind of server, because you want to keep it on all the time. Bitcoin, you maybe don't need all the time on, but as, as soon as you come to Lightning and you want to be a routing node, basically you have to keep this little computer all the time on. And uh, so in the beginning, uh, it was the, the idea really then to take, to say we, we, we choose the Raspberry Pi, because first of all, it has a very great big community already around this, this board. It's, it's widely, normally it was widely available. Last month we saw a little bit got difficult, a little bit more difficult, but basically it was very wide supported, very good tested, um, and, um, and and it is a small computer that's not doesn't consume much power. So you, when you keep it all the time on, it's not like you're like a laptop with a, with 10, 20, 30, 80, whatever watts uh, that that can really count up over time. Um, and and compared to a laptop, it's cheaper. So from that perspective, it made a lot of sense to, to, to choose, to go with this little computer uh, board like the Raspberry, Raspberry Pi. Um, but um, recently, um, especially now with the experience uh, in El Salvador, like being there and seeing how communities there, uh, what, what, what possibilities they have, uh, it also comes back to the idea that it's all that running all the full node on a laptop is also very important because the classic laptop setup is something that's so much more available right especially in developing or more or less developed countries uh you you you, you depend more more on a secondary market hardware so maybe it's a laptop even you can even use a laptop where the screen is cracked or something so you normally would not use it for everyday use but the rest is functioning then then you can get a cheap and you can really have this, uh, this laptop. And the good thing with the laptop too, it has a battery in there from the beginning. That's the idea of a laptop. Like, And um, power outages are a big danger for your data and, and for your channels. So you can lose even maybe your funds if, if you really have a complete data corruption on the disk. So have a good battery backup. You can also do this with the Raspberry Pi, but then you need extra UPS system, whatever. It's an extra investment you have to do. Um, and then the laptop already has a built-in battery. So it can at least take you for 10 minutes until the whole device kind of powers down cleanly. So for in, in, in a situation where you might have power outages, even a laptop is also a good choice. So, so I have to say a little bit more for the, um, for, for the privileged Western kind of, kind of world. I think the Raspberry Pi is still a very good choice. 
Um, if you look more in a brighter global kind of uh, perspective, I think um, the, having it on a laptop is also very important. And this is why uh, OpenOMS, for example, now in the Raspberry Blitz team uh, is putting more and more time into optimizing also the Raspberry Blitz con uh, kind of for running it on laptops. So um, a lot of Umbrella can also run on a laptop, basically. Um, but the Raspberry Blitz also is now can, you can run it on a clean Debian kind of setup. And then also have it kind of for those kind of scenarios. So you just told me that you can get some server hardware, like an in Intel Xeon or whatever. Um, doesn't and you can run Linux on that, like Debian Linux. And you can run on top of it Raspberry Blitz. I haven't checked with the Xeon. I have to check what, what, especially if there's something special about the processor. I haven't played much with. But basically, a, 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 a classic uh, uh, x86 uh, uh, Intel kind of or AMD kind of chipset. Uh, yes, like what you normally have in laptops, most people. I mean, we now also see ARM getting into laptop area, but it's, it's a very different topic. But the classic laptops you see uh, around, like that are maybe five years old uh, and get, you can get cheap in the secondary markets. That's interesting. But right now, Raspberry Blitz has lots of services. And I want to ask you, is there anything that you also want to add as an option to download? You even added the Bitcoin white paper. The, the, yeah, somebody contributed that. Uh, so that's, that's available. Um, so the, our rule set is a little bit like, um, first of all, we, we don't do everything ourselves. We we, we, a lot of apps you, you can install on a Raspberry Blitz are contributed from, from either the, the, even the projects themselves or somebody that likes the project very much and says, I want to have it available on my Raspberry Blitz. It's open source. I did it for myself. So now I share it with the community. And now it's available. Um, we are a little bit, uh, we're very welcoming to people um, adding also their own scripts, their own, what, what they develop. It, it should be a platform to develop new kind of stuff and get, and, and have it at a platform for people to try it out, to get feedback and to improve. That's kind of the basic idea of the hack days so that you have a project, you, you show it to people, you let people use it, and then you improve it. This is how we grow. Um, and, but it should be about Bitcoin or Lightning or about like managing your node system in, in a comfortable kind of way. So um, all those apps that are in that area are very much welcome, but we want to not put other stuff on there. Like this should not become your personal server. Uh, this is a little bit more the direction you see with the Start9 Embassy or with the Umbral. They seem to now concentrate to become more personal server on a kind of Raspberry Pi or single board computer kind of setup. Uh, that's cool. It's fair. It's a, it's a, it's a way to go. Um, but basically, we want to concentrate to keep our system, as a Raspberry Blitz, uh, concentrated on Bitcoin and Lightning and to optimize on that kind of front and keep also with the dependencies, the kind of uh, attack surface as low as possible. There's always compromise. But, uh, to, but I don't think it's a very good idea to have this one little computer and have your money there and then have every, my, your email server or whatever like on there. It's, it's, you don't want to mix this up too much. So. To everyone watching, how can they get access? How can they, they download the Raspberry Blitz and install it on their computers? Yeah, you can simply uh, go to the GitHub. There's a short link, um, raspberryblitz.org. Uh, you find it not very stylish page but it very quickly gives you a link to the github page on the github there's kind of good explanation in the readme step by step what to do so uh, it even then tells you what exactly you can buy the single parts from amazon for example there are links there so it describes what hardware you need it's not much but
after Mount Gox collapsed, that was really the precipice of me saying, right, this has to change. We need a totally transparent exchanging system um, and base it on gold instead of fiat. Voltoro is the hard money exchange which helps you beat inflation with instant swaps between the best stores of value known to man, gold and Bitcoin. Unlike most exchanges, Voltoro understands the importance of transparency and security. All gold holdings are secured in top-tier Swiss private vaults and fully insured against theft, fire and more. Maximize your purchasing power today by going to voltoro.com slash bitcoin takeover. This is not financial advice, but gold has been humankind's most reliable store of value in the last 6,000 years. Do your own research. Use promotion code TAKEOVER for a one-time bonus of one gram of gold for the first 50 new customers buying gold with Bitcoin. Are you concerned that your friends, neighbors or KYC exchange might know how much Bitcoin you own? It is time to take your financial privacy seriously with Wasabi Wallets, a free and open source wallet solution which makes use of mega coin joins to mix your coins with those of hundreds of other strangers. Thanks to the groundbreaking Wabi Sabi engine, your coins get divided in smaller untraceable units which grants you great anonymity for both huddling and spending. Download Wasabi Wallet 2.0 today at wasabiwallet.io and take advantage of the mega coin joins. It's free and it's open source, so don't trust Verify. What are you going to wear when Bitcoin hits $1 million? The same old $20 t-shirt? Try Maison Machi, the designer clothes made in Paris by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They're not your average mass-produced sweatshop clothes. Machi will ask for your measurements and tailor every piece of clothing according to the shape of your body so you always look and feel great in your t-shirt, hoodie or dress. It's all made in France by real artisans who also happen to be Bitcoiners. Which is why Maison Machi only accepts Bitcoin as payment for their clothes. Get a Maison Machi t-shirt or hoodie today, it might even help you find a girlfriend. And once you do get a girlfriend, you can also buy her a Maison Machi dress. Stop having fun looking poor and check out MaisonMachi.com That's M-A-I-S-O-N-M-A-A-C-H-I.com For my next question, Christian, I'm going to travel three months in time and in space and change our clothes and have my hair grow longer and stuff like that. We are at Parallelnipolis in Czech Republic and its capital in Prague. And we are continuing the interview from where we left off 
And I was about to ask you about integrations and we were in Mallorca and I was going to ask you about integrations. And in Mallorca, we had Matt who presented something about integrating NixOS into various systems. And that's where he came up with the idea to integrate NixOS into Raspi Blitz. And today, Christian, you did a presentation about Raspi Blitz and NixOS and Matt, you also joined on stage. It's crazy how fast stuff develops in the Bitcoin space. But it's also inspiring, and I'm happy that I get to have you both to continue the interview. And this is a first for my show, you know, an interview that's three months in the making. We started in July, we finish it in October. So let me ask you the question right now. What are the various integrations that are coming into Raspi Blitz? Yeah, so um, between our interviews, we now released the 1.8 Raspi Blitz finally, so it's out. And uh, you can see in the, the web, web UI already like some uh, some new website, um, some apps that you maybe already had on the SSH, but now available on the web UI. That's all great and that's all good. And one thing we were seeing like is installing these apps can be can fail because it's bash scripts running, they can fail, can have problems. So the whole packaging needs a little bit more optimization and be more robust. And probably we heard about reproducibility would be a nice thing to do. And there, um, Matt came up with the idea of maybe we can redo, basically it's not an integration, it's more like in re redoing the kind of system all behind the web UI, all behind the API uh, with the Nix-based system or yeah, Nix-based yeah. setup. So, so, so the, the idea is that we will re-architect the project away from bash scripts that were written uh, by you and others and that were contri contributed uh, by you and others that make various assumptions. Um, and yeah, Nix is, Nix is basically embodies the uh, don't trust verify um, motto because it compiles everything from source, but equally it also allows you to download binaries for some things, right? So um, the, the Nix thesis calls this uh, binary distribution is a runtime optimization of source distribution. So it is both. It is Gen 2 and Debian at the same time. And uh, this is going to improve user experience, make things more robust in the background. But users don't really need to know about this. It's more of an implementation detail. Yeah. And just, just don't to confuse people, um, this is more like a research topic. And to, we will try to do it like in parallel to the recipe blitz. So there will be the classic recipe blitz right it is right now. It will be improved. All the web UI will grow and, and will be continued. But um, basically on the side, as a side project, uh, it's kind of a parallel development to see if we can under the hood basically uh, exchange uh, stuff with, with the Nix setups. And it's, it's a good uh, time to do it because the web UI has this reduced set of features now because not everything you could do with SSH like login on the recipe blitz uh, is on the web UI. It's a very reduced feature set and this gives us the chance now really to um, reproduce all those features that you have in the web UI under the hood with Nix and then on top you have the web UI you know basically and at one point you'll be maybe able to change from the classic recipe blitz setup to a Nix blitz kind of setup um, and continue kind of using your Raspberry Pi. Yeah, so this is all about reducing state, handling state better, educating people about what state is, things that if you lose them and you didn't back them up, then you're going to cry about it. That's what state is to me on a computer system. And um, yeah, using Nix, we're going to be able to separate the program from the state. Separation of stuff from state is the reason why we are here, I guess. It's part of the revolution, even if the state means something else. Smash the state. 
smash the state. Use that hashtag yeah. and send this episode to a friend. Anyway, I was going to mention also something about integrations because on the way here, we met Melvin Carvalho, who is also a developer and he works on Noster. And basically, he tried to pitch to you integrating Noster, which is on top of Ellen Bits, into Raspi Blitz and have some sort of bridge or whatever. I think also I've introduced you to some other developer a few months ago who wanted to introduce stuff. And you said basically they have to develop it and maintain it. And that's your condition. Generally, what are the terms for people to add extra applications into Raspi Blitz? Um, so basically now on the classic RESPLIT setup, um, you can start very, very easy, very, very quickly. Because you, you have the access, you can build very quickly a bash script to install stuff. So basically there, it's on one little bonus script that can just install stuff. Um, then it's on. Then it's available as an experimental feature. We can add this basically to to uh, to the scripts uh, for people to try out. Once this gets more improved, it can go into the SSH menus where you can install it. And if then really people commit to maintaining it and there's a demand for it from from the from the people or for the users outside there, then we can see if we can level it up in the web UI. Set all that um, the criteria of what to add and what maybe not to add. I mean. I don't try to be kind of too too strict on this, but what my focus is that it, it, it it's best to have a really Bitcoin focus and a, or a Lightning focus, or maybe managing your node in a in a certain way. So then some close connection to this should be seeable in the in the, in the stuff you want to add to the Raspberry Blitz. Everything else goes more into the direction of a more home service system based on a Raspberry Pi. Maybe that's a little bit more the territory Umbrella is now going for. They've changed focus from. A kind of full node setup for Bitcoin and Lightning to a home server setup. So if you're more in this direction, I think maybe the Umber platform is a better better thing to integrate your, your apps to. Um, but if you have the Bitcoin and Lightning focus, uh, Raspberry is very welcoming you. And if there's some nice connection to Bitcoin and Lightning and a good integration, like Nostra, it has a, a sort of chat program has some Ellen Bits integrations. So this could be in, could be in the area, but it's already on the edge a little bit. So we have to see if, if this makes sense or not. So and, and in the end, it all depends on the commitment of the people contributing those those features and apps. So, so while we were in Mallorca. So actually, since we were in Mallorca, some stuff has happened. First of all, we had a podcast that ended up becoming very popular, which basically presented the Raspberry Pi as an unreliable kind of system on which you can run a node. And then my node died, which was a coincidence. It was first, first of all, an SD card failure, and then the entire board kind of stopped working. And I was going to ask you something about the Raspberry Pi and also about the Mallorca situation, Matt. I know that while you were there, you used the Raspberry Pi 400 and the TV that you found in the hotel room to basically run NixOS on that device. And I think still the Raspberry Pi is promising and shows a lot of potential for what it costs and, you know, what it is as hardware. And the fact that we create software that runs on it is admirable and proves that decentralization works and is for everyone. So I was going to ask you if you changed your opinion about it and if you're going to bring Raspi Blitz on some other OSs, like to run it on Linux or whatever. 
I mean, the the first, as I, if I remember, the the big criticism started uh, with Warren Tagami, president, presenting in Riga, and he had to talk about the ideas that we need to basically improve how we run nodes and make it more reliable, and that the Raspberry Pi is maybe not the the, the best uh, kind of platform if you really want to get serious in running a node with a with with a lot of volume and stuff on it. So um, and to. First, he had multiple kind of um, uh, criticisms in, in there. One of them was that the Raspberry Pi OS, on which kind of the also the Raspberry Pi builds on, is not very good in, in security patching. So it takes a little bit longer time until this arrives, and this could be in a attack surface uh, if you really run your node there. And this is also one reason uh, we're talking about like maybe changing the base um, in, in, in when we go into a, to a Nix setup. So. Maybe Matt, give us an overview. What could Nix bring to the table of of more security patches and and uh, and be more quicker there to to um, to have a stable and secure platform? Well, what I can tell you is that uh, Nix OS actually gets security patches and kernel patches, and even the latest kernel releases from Linux upstream uh, faster than any other distribution of Linux that there is. It is faster than all of them, so we have a um, we have a massive advantage. Um, because the Nix build system allows us to patch things like OpenSSL very rapidly, and it's trivial to implement. And other distributions have a, have a tough time with that. Um, so, yeah, NixOS is going to improve the security situation. It's going to improve the, the software supply chain, mm. and there's going to be less supply chain attacks possible. You're going to be able to choose what software you want to compile, what software you don't want to compile, what software you trust, what software, what software you don't trust so much that you want to compile from source. It's going to improve the trust relationship. It's going to make everything easier for everyone. Yeah, and so. and as far as I remember, the the talk in Riga uh, from Robert Warren was also like he said we should get more closer to like Bitcoin Core is doing doing the kind of security models, um, reviewing codes and stuff. So the reproduce, reproducibility is a big factor for developers to look into the code and basically say, okay, this this outcome here is really what the code is, and people can trust it. Um, so so this is more uh, I think also a, a, um, assist or a kind of a method we find more and more closer to a Nix kind of setup, right? Yeah, and, and one of the things that Nix is going to bring to the table is VM tests and testing of infrastructure before we give it to client devices. Devices will not end up in different states. Uh, they will all be homogenous. Um, so it's going to be a much more improved setup. Yeah. So I think at least those kind of, this is from the, from the system setup. I think this is at least going and answering in this direction. Then you ask a little bit about the um, the architecture thing. So if is the, is the Raspberry Pi really the best platform? Um, I mean, we already started in, the, now, now say classic Raspberry Blitz, but but that we keep in mind, we OpenOM's already started very early on to try it out on different kind of architectures, other kind of single board computers. We fell back to the Raspberry Pi early on because it was the most reliable single board computer, like from the build quality and 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 all those kind of things, uh, and also most kind of ecosystems you could get it um, a lot of places. This changed sadly now uh, in the situation. It's very hard to get a Raspberry Pi at the moment. So um, all those kind of ideas and also seeing like when we go into other countries like El Salvador and stuff, it's very hard there to get a Raspberry Pi. But what you have there are old laptops you can get. So OpenOMS already looked very, very recently, even before the criticism came up, to how can you run a Raspberry Blitz setup on, a, on an old laptop, for example. So this was already starting. 
And I think also then with a with a Nix setup, uh, it makes it very very easily to 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 support other other uh, architectures and, and system setups. Yeah, Nix doesn't really make any assumptions, so whatever we build with Nix will end up being able to run on any piece of hardware. Whereas right now, Raspberry Blitz, it's even in the name, right? But it will end up being completely agnostic to the hardware it's running on, or even the architecture it's running on, and that's. Again, uh, made trivial by Nix in a way that it's not really possible with other build systems. So it's a it's a great improvement. Yeah. So so basically, it will be you will be run this. You can run this on your on your on your setup you have for right now. So that's that's great. But also, if you choose maybe because you see you you really want to to level up in your in your node game and you see I have a lot of channels up there. I really want to be a bigger part of the network. Then you can maybe just take the take it and 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 run it on another more potent hardware like an old laptop or whatever we find um, the most fitting there. So I think. This also goes already in this direction. Uh, I just think that the Raspberry Pi is still a good compromise for if you want to start it, um, and then because it's it's the hardware is very same. If you start with laptops, there will be everything a little bit like different. Sometimes even if it's a used laptop, there may be I don't know some some problems with with, with the hardware, and you have to check the whole system. So there's another stuff connected to this. I think for a starting point, the Raspberry Pi is still a good platform. But sure, if we really want to level up the game, um, at one point, this hardware reaches its, its limits. I just want to add to that, that I think uh, another really important direction that the Bitcoin community needs to go in is into open hardware. Not only should we be running open software, but we should also be running the open software on open hardware. And uh, I don't really see anyone else doing that or even attempting it, but Nix will allow us to attempt that and it will allow us to do it in a, in a big way. And we, anything we, we forgot on your? Yes. So first of all, I want to mention about open hardware that we have the RISC-V infrastructure, as far as I know, and that's the most popular. But it's prohibitively expensive. The last time I checked, it was about $5,000 to buy a computer. And it was not even like some sort of high-end spec computer. It was just some average RISC-V, whose advantage is that you can verify that it's open source, you know? That's the whole point about it. And I was also going to ask you a question. If, so I'm starting from this information that I have about Start9 Labs, which is running this business with which they're selling very expensive computers to run servers on. And I know that the Raspberry Blitz project has been about affordability, but do you see yourselves going into that direction where you sell machines which have i9 processors and high-end motherboards and stuff that's meant to last and sell it to high-end customers who want to get that kind of hardware experience? Or do you just tell people if they want to build that, they should just buy the parts and put it together? I mean, I think you're referencing a little bit to what we do with Fulmo, like where we kind of sell the notes, like, Kind of build build together and and have some. Um, I mean, um, I don't know what 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 the plan is there. We had, we don't have a plan uh, there. If if there's something nice package comes up, I think could be interesting to to also offer alternatives there. But one thing we need to understand is with with Raspberry Blitz because it's MIT licensed, it's completely open source. Everybody's free to even build a business on it and compete with Fulmo on selling these. There's no licensing involved on that kind of side. So, if there's anybody out there that wants to specialize uh, to, to to offer the Raspberry Blitz uh, platform on on another hardware setup, like and then really specialize, make good boxes about it and sells them. 
um, absolutely free to do so. Um, the only thing is, is the, even even the name is not trademarked, uh, so uh, they could use they can advertise with Raspberry Blitz basically, and we cannot say anything at the moment against it. Maybe I don't know. Um, trademarking a name could be at one point interesting, and, and would not rule this out. But at the moment, it's even even that is not there. So um, there's absolutely freedom for everybody to build other systems and and put them on the market. Um, at Fulmo now, at the moment, there's not a plan. But if something nice shows up, um, we maybe also do it. So I cannot rule this out. We have to see what what comes up. Uh, I just add, um, Risk Five machines are getting cheaper, and I'm aware of Risk Five machines that you can get for like forty pounds or less. And they all have high-speed interfaces, and you can put NVMe SSDs in them or M.2 SSDs, and you know anything's possible. So I, I don't really see a requirement for any of that stuff. They got like a gig of RAM, you know. You can just uh, write to swap on the M.2 SSD, and uh, you know that's as good as RAM for me. So I, I don't really, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take that much to run Bitcoin. So, and that that's part of the you know the block scaling debate is like keep it a four meg so that we can handle pies and things like this. So it's really important to keep it low requirements. Yeah, so just for the record, I'm going to give another try to the Raspberry Blitz format and system. I'm going to buy another Raspberry Pi. And one of the recommendations that I got from OpenNOMS, who is a developer and I think also maintainer of yeah. the project, is to get one of these uh, pro-industrial-grade SD card. I'm not sure if, if it's going to show on the camera. It's very tiny. It costs about $15. It has 64 gigabytes, which is more than enough to store the OS and information about what it's doing. I think the old one got overloaded at one point, mm -hmm. and after the SD card failed, also the board ended up getting fried. Mm -hmm. That's also an interesting. That's also an interesting part we just discussed here uh, in Prague. Is um, first of all, those those SD cards are very normally a very bad medium to run your system on because all every write on those those SD cards kind of wears them out. Um, in the in the packages uh, we we sell at Fulmo, we have already those endurance cards which are already one level better. Um, but still, there's you can even up the game a little bit more. And you, 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 when you really look for industrial grade SD cards, they at least give you more more one way there. But still, uh, as the Raspberry Blitz system is right now, there's something happening on the SD card, and it can can put put load of them, and and so they're weak point there. Um, also no, interesting, we, we talked about this. Uh, how will this look with Nix? Because there was always the idea: can we run the OS from from the SSD? Basically, this is what other node distributions kind of go into. Um, but Matt, you said that might be not needed because Nix would not kind of put heavy load on the SD card. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, Nix will be the only process on the system that is capable of writing to the SD card and all of the state generated by the programs will go on the SSD so that the write-heavy operations will occur off of the SD card. Well, we're only talking about like four gigabytes, maybe, for what's called a system closure. The full system, if you were to tar it up and put it into a tarball and give it to someone, then the whole system might only be like four gigabytes. And uh, you don't have to write that four gigabytes every time. You only have to pull roughly the difference, whatever has updated. And that might be like maybe 100 megabytes when we release an update. So I don't see that wearing the SD card out too much. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot of interesting deployment models that are opened up by Nix and NixOS that uh, you don't really get with any other system. Uh, and that includes uh, reducing the, the write operations on an SD card. Yeah, I can understand that it's super convenient to put the OS on the SSD, which also stores Bitcoin information. But there is a trade-off there for security and for having a backup. 
In my case, I still have the SSD, which is perfectly functional. And I put another SD card and the board on top of that, and I can just resume my node from where it left off. But if, for example, I had the SSD card failing, it would have been worse because I would have lost or all the blockchain chain data and all the information about my channels, which was not stored on the SD. It was stored on the storage device. So maybe that it's better to have this dual storage device setup. Or what do you think about this approach? I'll just comment on that. I just um, that that's what I mean by the separation of program and state. That's what you just said. Is that the the important information that you care about losing is on the SSD. So that's all backed up, whereas the programs, you can get them, again, because it's all reproducible, right? It's, but the, the data that you've stored on the SSD is unique and not reproducible, except for the blockchain, of course. But it's uh, not nice to lose that much data because you have to resync it and stuff. But yeah, I, I also want to say that it, it's really, this is why we should look into RISC-5 and uh, machines that don't even have an SD card and they just take an M.2 SSD and you pop that in. And it's just reliable from the get-go because it's uh, better hardware. And they're, they're getting cheaper every single day. So it's it's a more interesting offering, I think. So Matt, how does, you mentioned something about a $40 RISC-V board. How does that compare to a $40 Raspberry Pi in terms uh, of specs? Uh, I, I don't have the details to hand, but you know, there's, it, there's new RISC-V boards being generated every single day by random Chinese companies and other competitors um, because it's all open. Anyone can produce it. With the Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi Foundation, they just make a lot of... Uh, it, it's good hardware, right? And it's it's, it's battle-tested and all of the quirks are worked out. And uh, they even have things like um, uh, uh, components on the board that you can't fry them so easily. I've forgotten what they're called. Um, but but anyway, uh, yeah, the, the specs are comparable and they're, they're, they're coming to parity. And I, there's an article I can give you a link to that you can put in the description that compares like a Raspberry Pi Zero to the RISC-V offering. And it's basically the same. And uh, that that's like below $40. That's like $10. And some of these boards coming out with like 512 megabytes of memory and uh, M.2 slots. And I, I think they're like really interesting nodes uh, or, or could be good nodes. Yeah. So how long is it going to be until we get like a mass adoption of RISC-V? Or do you see that happening? Um, the moment that you're able to um, buy them on eBay, because like right now you have to go into Alibaba. It's kind of more ex experienced uh, like buyer. Um, I don't see regular people doing that. But if we could buy them up and then resell them, then that's one, one avenue. Um, but yeah, RISC-V's already kind of taken over in, in a lot of ways. It already runs the software, and that's the biggest challenge is getting the software compiling for that architecture. And that's already coming to fruition. So, Are you going to rebrand the Raspi Blitz into the Risk Blitz? Yeah, we were we had a short talk about names. It's still in the in the in the, in the finding, but I think Nick's Blitz is, was was kind of a good compromise there because it, it keeps the kind of Blitz recognition, but now it shows that it's another some something is happening in the background differently. Um, and again, we we this is still a research project to be. I mean, we talked a lot about now because it's such interesting to to think in this direction, um, but it's still it's a research effort. So and and of course, naming is always nice to have in the beginning. Uh, because people kind of remember that, um, so but but we have to see if the, what, what will be final in the end. So we will see there. Uh, the, the way I see it is, uh, Blitz is uh, is Christian's uh, idea, 
and we are all going to implement that idea or that concept in the language of our choice, right? And my language is Next, and anyone can implement it, or at least that's the goal, right? Is that you've got an API, and anyone can implement that API any way they want, and uh, that's where we're heading. Yeah, and that's also the good thing about the uh, the backend API that Fusion Forty Four was uh, is is created, uh, has created, and is working on, um, is that he his goal is to have it uh, not completely tied uh, like uh, to to this Raspberry Blitz system as it is right now. He tries to keep it in an abstract kind of way, so that it's that it's possible then hopefully to have this this kind of standardized API, so the web UI can be reused. But be, again, but on the on on the background, people can change, and if somebody else wants to go into another direction than Nix, they can also try to do this. Um, but it's still, get, again, it's a lot of work. Um, and I think I, I really like the Nix idea going in this direction. And this is also a call out to the audience. If there's other, other Nix enthusiasts out there, uh, please assemble uh, and, and help out here. Uh, I think because it's a community effort to, to see how far we can push the idea. And also maybe find the limitations, maybe. Th so to see um, where we maybe, where's a compromise and where we maybe find a better solution or something. So this is a research thing and it's also to the community. I think it's, it seems to be driven very heavily here from, from Matt because I can see really all the energy he puts in here. So, um, but, but again, um, it's, it's one, one person alone. This is always uh, for an open source project. That's it needs more people and uh, check out the on the GitHub we have the issue open for just search for Nick Splits on on the on the issues on Raspberry Blitz uh, repo and there you can join the conversation and and we can push this idea further. That's that uh, maintenance uh, reproducibility is always a maintenance burden because you you never you know you may say add an application to Raspberry Blitz but it's like the application is not reproducible. So it puts a hard stop in what you can implement because of the upstream component. Like, for example, let's say um, let's say we want to run a blockchain explorer, but that blockchain explorer is not reproducible or like mempool or something. Well, we're going to find out it's not reproducible, and then we're going to hit a hard block unless we change mempool to be reproducible. So we have to contribute upstream and fix issues upstream before we can implement it. We can't work around them. We simply have to fix the software. And that's always going to be a big maintenance burden. I, I can't do that alone. I have a very spontaneous question, which is unrelated to the topic. What is so special about Europe, especially Central Europe and Club Mate and developers? I went to the Trezor offices about three months ago, yeah. and everyone was drinking Club Mate. I came here at Parallel Nepolis and I noticed that everyone is buying Club Mate. And it seems like these people who are buying it are developers. It's almost as if, so there's this conspiracy about Bitcoiners being meat eaters, right? But Bitcoin in reality, the, the developers are drinkers of Club Mate. It seems like Bitcoin is running on Club Mate. So if anyone shuts down Club Mate, we might have a very disastrous situation. We've also got the Bitcoin beer tap upstairs, which is a form of attack on Bitcoin. It is an attack on Bitcoin. Like, think about the risks, right? Yeah, I, I would prefer a coffee tap or something like that, or a Club Mate tap. Caffeine. Caffeine is the, uh, is the good stuff and alcohol is the bad stuff. Uh, if you're listening to this, like, coffee company, whatever, you, you can sponsor Bitcoin Takeover or whatever. I'm kidding. You can't. I'm not interested. They, they actually have Bitcoin coffee upstairs. It's in a, in a pouch. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, maybe it's, is that the Bulletproof coffee? They've also got that. That's a brand by Parallel Nepolis. They said they have the Bitcoin coffee, which tastes better because you buy it with Bitcoin. Yeah. 
That's the power of your will. You're going to convince yourself into thinking that it's tastier because you paid the harder money for it. It's it's really difficult. This I don't think any company can sponsor us because, but but they got bulletproof coffee upstairs, which could sponsor Monero, I suppose, right? Bulletproofs Monero. Yeah, well, we, we haven't got any uh, any colliding names here. They can sponsor Kevin Pham. I'm not sure if you get that reference. Lost on me. Yeah, I'm sure that there are people listening who will know what I'm talking about. There was a panel with Kevin Pham where he was sitting there with a Kevlar vest. I did so. After he turned into a BSV shill, he started wearing a Kevlar vest. <laughs> and they started calling him Kevlar Pham because whatever. <laughs> but yeah, he's bulletproof. You can sponsor him, coffee company, whatever. Anyway... What's next for your project in the next 6 to 12 months? And I did see that you presented the web interface today, and it was pretty cool. And you also did that presentation about the web UI and the API and the backend, I think. If I'm not mistaken, I need to re-picture that image in my mind. But what is next? Because it seems like you hit this milestone of making it accessible for users. You no longer need to use that command line stuff and that menu which looks like Norton Commander. You know Norton Commander. You know Norton Commander. You're old enough to know it. I've used it too. But now it looks a lot more friendly and it looks like a very nice interface actually. So what is next in the upcoming months? Yeah, so um, one one key point also of my presentation today was to let people know we, we finished to make it functional to have it as a web UI. So uh, the next steps, I think, for the next kind of versions coming out, and this will be kind of a topic, I think, for the next months to come, is to make it more um, educational like and, and, and self-explanatory. So, so that it really, so when somebody new really sets up the, the node, that it takes you through the steps and explains you why should I choose L&D or, or Core Lightning. What, what, why, when I give it a name, what does it mean? Give it a name. Should I put my last name in there? So give it a little bit more background uh, on on what you're doing, educating you on the journey, uh, and and so make it easier, not just easy, but also really kind of educational for people. And this is really a mission that we can also as programmers not can do alone. This is this is where a lot of people come in that that come maybe from the content creating side. I mean, looking at you, flat also. I, I will actually <laughs> build my node on video. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, so so and, and also like may make um, videos like explaining things so it, that's really the good thing that we can do like enrich the web UI and and, and uh, more and more also add a lot of features I'm missing a thing still that people want to see because for the beginning it was very reduced now we need to see what's what's missing there um, because not, again not everything that's on the SSH level is available in the web UI it's very reduced there and we want to see what's needed put more apps some more apps there and, and uh, to install. And so those and and also squashed some bugs. Of course, there's some we already saw like an after release here and there. Some things need to be fixed. So those this is kind of up for 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 the next kind 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 of time. The good thing is with all the work on the web UI, all this journey will be can can then really be reused in in a kind of Nix setup because. The education will stay the same. We just kind of then under the hood kind of have an alternative kind of kind of parallel system. So I think even if so, so it's. it's it just makes sense to have a specialized system on this, especially now if you look at, at for example, at Umbrel. Uh, I just te- when I tested the new version, it, it it doesn't explain anything. Like it's just kind of setting it up, and then you have the screen there. It doesn't point you to Bitcoin, or it's, it's there. You can install it, but then it's there. I think it's they 
what they did very good in the beginning, like putting it everything together and giving people a journey, I, I think they, they a little bit they lost that that uh, that focus. And I think we can really know with the power of the community and again all with all translations you can do in different languages, we can we, we we can really recreate a little bit this this um, um, or make this even better from a community effort. Yeah, so I thought I was done with this, but actually you have this interface that you can use to submit your own translation. You don't need to learn how to code or whatever. I'm going to take a shot at it to try to translate to Romanian. Do you have any kind of bounties for this or is it entirely voluntary? Entirely voluntary at the moment, so yeah. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'm going to try to do it. I'm not going to make a promise as to when. But I really want to make this happen. I think it's a project that deserves it. I've done it for Blockstream, and all I got was like a mug and a t-shirt from them. I translated Blockstream green for them. So yeah, I should do it for Raspi Blitz because it's something that I use and I have been using until it died. But now I have to get new hardware. And when I do get new hardware, I'm going to try to do it on camera to show people how to put it together. I have two cases, actually, one that's black and one that's red. I'm missing the white one, I think. I'm going to ask <laughs> someone who's selling them to give me one, just for fashion purposes. And what else is there to add? Matt, I don't think you had the opportunity to get a proper introduction. You just popped in, in the middle of the interview. I'm the Nixie man. I make your software reproducible. I like the way that sounds, but if you were to introduce yourself for the first time to someone who never heard about you, what would you say? I don't know. I like nothing. Nick's in Dutch means nothing, so uh, I'm the nothing man. You're the nothing man. That's a Pearl Jam song. I know Nick's. I know nothing. That's a Pearl Jam song, nothing man. Is it? It is. You're going to get sued or something, but that's fine because you're wearing your face covering and your hat and nobody will know. I'm totally unidentifiable. No one will ever know who I am. You have an anonymity score of one. Yeah, is because that, is that your analysis? You're the only one in this whole building who's wearing this mask on his face, so <laughs> you're easy to identify. Yeah, it's weird how that works, isn't it? Uh, everyone running around with the balaclavas on are actually more easily identifiable than people without balaclavas. They blend in less. Yeah, yeah that's how it works. Security and privacy sometimes are contrary to each other. Indeed. We don't blend in enough. It's the same on the blockchain when you look and you see one coin joining, you're like, okay, let's look at the privacy advocates and we find the possible sub suspects, and that's how it works. Yeah, uh, just to answer your question, if I was to introduce myself, um, I'm Matt and I like making things work properly and I like um, revolutionary technologies that change the way things work instead of uh, the status quo. I like the way that you use the word state. Status quo, use state in technical terms. Yeah, but smash the state, get rid of the state. Nix and Bitcoin have a lot in common. They both want to be reproducible. Uh, Bitcoin wants a reproducible ledger. Nix wants a reproducible software ecosystem where the compiler, uh, everything in the input to the program is always guaranteed to be the same every time. Um, yeah. I've had two Nix OS people on the show before. I've had Pavel Rusnak, and I've also had Nickler. And oh, both yeah, of yeah. them, you know, Pavel Rusnak spoke about the Trezor. Nickler spoke about Taproot. They didn't get too much into Nix. So if you were to describe what it is in 
30 seconds, like an elevator pitch, what would you say about Nix? Nix is a domain-specific language for defining reproducible builds so that software can be more reliable and robust in the long term. It was created in 2003, which is older than Bitcoin, and the software that was written in 2003 can still be reproduced to this day. It's like an archive. Anything that you do in Nix can be reproduced in the long term, and that's really what it's about, is a long-term archival and reproducibility of software. I like that. <laughs> and why does reproducibility matter? Because if you want a robust software ecosystem, it ought to be reproducible. Because if I can't give you source code and you can't compile it and get the same result, well, what does that say about the trust properties of everything in the software supply chain? Uh, Ken Thompson, uh, one of the people who made Unix, wrote a paper called Reflections on Trusting Trust, where he explained that you, ca you can hide a bug in the compiler, right? So you've got to trust something. So that's still a problem. Nix doesn't fix that problem. But what it does fix is the fact that I today we've got so many dependencies, right? That if I give you the source code and there's one slight difference in your system to my system, we will get different results. And Nix fixes that problem. And that's, that's a big software supply chain fix, right? So uh, same inputs, same outputs. Not the same inputs. You don't get the same outputs. We guarantee the same inputs with Nix, and that is why it's, uh, it's really important for security and uh, transparency. I mean, I can put the Raspberry Blitz configuration on GitHub, and I can inspect it without actually needing a real Raspberry Pi. I know what it's going to be before it even hits the Pi. I can evaluate it using a programming language called Nix, and I know what the outputs are going to be ahead of time. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like the, the advantage of that is obvious. Yeah, there is this website which is called WalletScrutiny.com and it analyzes Bitcoin wallets from two criteria. The first one is open sourceness and the second one is reproducibility. And there are some wallets that are not open source that you think they would be. And there are some wallets that are open source and they brag about it, but they're not reproducible. And I think only like four or five Bitcoin wallets are both reproducible. I, I mean mobile wallets because they looked into these first. Only four or five are reproducible and open source. Yeah, it's always a challenge to keep things reproducible as well. Like, if you add a single dependency to your piece of software, that could make it not reproducible because that dependency that, you know, some kid in Israel wrote, that's not reproducible because you're using an open source ecosystem. You have to be really picky about the libraries that you use. Otherwise, you'll end up unreproducible. And uh, Nix kind of like, Nix is the ultimate scrutiny because if you try to build it in Nix and it doesn't work, usually the reason is because it's not reproducible and you can find out the reasons why things are so broken in the software ecosystem today uh, just by using it it reveals a lot to you so it's kind of like bitcoin kind of reveals how screwed the world is i guess so my last question for you for both of you is where can people find you follow you support your work whatever I mean, um, basically, on the Raspberry Blitz on the, the GitHub is basically where where uh, the, the the work is done and where you can give feedback. Especially now on the web UI that's that's out now, the first version. Please give feedback on it. Uh, what can be improved, or how can what what you still missing there? Um, and of course, on Twitter, you can follow me as as Rootsol or Roots. So um, there, there, that's the most common ways I'll I think those in the description. that's that's nice thank Hello. you thank you <laughs> as for me you'll probably find me in the git commit log for raspy blitz in the future so uh, just look in the git commit log and you'll see me as Matt and you'll be able to work it out from there 
I prefer git commits to Twitter. Thank you very much, and I hope I'm going to see lots of promising results. Maybe next time we meet, you're going to have a Romanian version of Raspi Blitz, and maybe it will be more reproducible. So, Let's hope so. Thank you. <laughs>
Stop having fun looking poor and check out MaisonMashi.com. That's M-A-I-S-O-N-M-A-A-C-H-I.com.